0: In today's episode of Framing Visual Culture, I speak with fashion curator and lecturer Daniela Monasterios on trims, DIY fashion, and AR filters. Daniela is currently working on an experimental fashion exhibition with artist Stephanie J. Bird titled A Stubborn Bloom. This exhibition explores femininity through material culture and feminine tropes in films such as The Virgin Suicides and Marie Antoinette by Sofia Coppola and Picnic on Hanging Rock by Peter Y. In preparation for the exhibition, Daniela has been collecting antique items and trims of lace, ribbons or gloves from women who inherited these items from their grandmothers. In this episode, we delve into the idea of using trims as a form of fashioning one's own identity, adding some personal touch and flavour to their outfits, be it rococo fashion or on the streets of Harajuku in the 90s, or today with AR filters over our faces.
1: So, because my lens is always to think about the past, to think so that we can understand the future, I began looking in eBay, looking for objects to buy that could relate to this idea of femininity. So I started buying. Uh, handmade trims and machine-made trims that people were selling online that belonged to their grandmas. And what I found very interesting, which is I think something you picked up, was that uh, these people who who were making these trims or had these trims were not professional seamstresses, but they were just regular people who used mm. these trims to kind of update their wardrobe or to make their wardrobe more them.
0: Yeah, because I was listening to the, the podcast where you uh discuss this specific exhibition. Yes. Um and at the end it was just an ending note, but you said that like, you know, trims are not very much studied in fashion history. And that made me think a lot about how well, maybe do you think it's because it's more of a, a vernacular thing or like people see mm-hmm. it as too much decoration and not so much like thought.
1: Mm-hmm. I think there's a few things going on there. The first thing is that in general, fashion history has always been concerned more with elite dress or like how dress differentiates people according to class. Mm. Um, It has also looked at how trends in dress Mm. come about. So things like construction techniques or like silhouettes or like, you know, there's always that myth of the designer that changed the whole silhouette of the season, of the decade. For example, Mm. uh, Balenciaga or Christian Dior who created a very different silhouette. So we're more concerned with like big narratives and not so much small nuanced um, ideas. And I think trims are just that. They are always like the little bits that make up the bigger whole. Um, And they, like you said, they are very much also linked to decoration and one of the most decorative eras have been, has been the Baroque and the Rococo era that had like so much super fluid. like so it was so elaborate and like mm. women wearing like tons of lace mm. but in our contemporary context we, we look at those kind of things with suspicion because it reminds us of like abuse of power and like you know the elite people taking all these resources and then the normal people having so little
0: Mm. Yeah. Also made me think that um, you know, changing the whole silhouette is difficult. So at that time, like uh, in the movie Marie Antoinette, yeah, we there there was this huge elaborate scene of yeah. her just choosing the different ribbons and, 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 lace, and different yeah, yeah.
1: and to- yeah, that that's true. And also the fact that a lot of this lace, for example, French lace was a specialty and women used to make it by hand so mm. it's so much labor and that's the luxury of it that you don't have to make it but you can buy it you can buy somebody else's time
0: mm. absolutely yeah yeah so while looking out for this we also found that by the 1930s most of the trims that used to be handmade and therefore high luxury were increasingly more machine made yeah. and therefore it was more associated with mass-produced clothes yeah. And from then on You know Like fashion Went more into Let's talk about Silhouette And the yes, cut, Construction the Correct Yeah And yeah,
1: yeah. that's an interesting Thing to note Because um, I don't think It's thought about Very much But it's always This idea How fashion Is always trying To differentiate
0: mm. People Yeah Yeah And you mentioned Class just now As yeah. well um, So while Trims Well of course There's a kind of comeback you know with Gucci and all this like excess again. Yeah. But I think it hasn't mm, like now it's not so much uh we don't think about it uh on a day-to-day basis like how can we use trims in our own yeah. clothes anymore. Whereas uh today we really yeah. want to look at um how you know in the 90s and a lot of subcultures have been uh using trims and DIY fashion totally. as yeah as a way of Creating an identity.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I know that you picked up some pictures of, for example, Ganguro girls and um, Harajuku street style. And right there, we can see a lot of the fashion has a lot of additional bits and pieces that each of the style tribe members will kind of add on. For example, mm. nail stickers or like nail bits. You can see like little hair clips or lace. And then there's, of course, the... Pro- there's a rise of, like, independent designers in Japan that were catering just for these streets, style mm. tribes. But I think even earlier, we can also look at how um, teen, cult- teen subcultures like the punks and even the teddy boys were always trims and, like, the smaller bits of, of information in the garment was what gave them their personal identity, whereas the overall look and style mm. was what gave them the group identity. So even though the punks have an overall look that looks similar, like, you know, the leather jacket, the, the skinny jeans, um, if you look in within each of their garments, you would see maybe something that's more related to their personal
0: beliefs mm.
1: or their personal, like, favourite bands and things like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the leather jackets where a lot of them are customized, right? Like, they paint on it. So even though you would think that, okay, they're all wearing leather jackets that's painted, but what's painted on it is, like, really the garments become, like, a canvas for them to add on their own personality. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, of course, the punks are much more aggressive and um, they were in the 1970s, so it was a time of, like, it was a very dark time for young people. They didn't, society was going through a lot of changes. Um, Margaret Thatcher was in the government, so they didn't see a lot of future for themselves. Whereas the guru Girls or the Japanese street style comes actually from a time in the 90s where Japan was very, very mm. economically strong. So it was a different, it was yeah. a different reason for being.
0: That's that's really interesting Like in, in terms of you know, how these subcultures mm, emerge, even though the economic or the societal background is so different. But I think in Japan, it's, you know, in terms of the the economic boom and the excess, like, in general, they're they're more expected to wear... Yeah, exactly, like, a specific work uniform. Mm. But then, now that they have the extra money to pursue, like, different different parts yeah of what they want to express yeah. but for young people especially like I've read that um, you know fashion is a way of really going against the grain of how they're supposed to conform that's why I like harajuku fashion is even crazier yeah have you actually met a couple no in I've real never life?
1: met any of these subcultures in real life because by the time I went to Japan for the f- Tokyo for the first time um, it was already in 20- 2014 I think mm. and I think uh, Japanese subculture has just never reached uh, it reached its peak in the 90s and yeah I don't think it looks like this anymore
0: Yeah you know the um one of the the magazines that basically captured fruits. all this yeah fruits yeah. Uh, the photographer of fruits um commented that you know it's because of brands like Uniqlo I and know I remember that <laughs> I remember that uh, title
1: which was like Uniqlo and the, something like the death of...
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And Harajuku this Street idea culture. of how Uniqlo... Well, their tagline is life wear, right? Mm. And then they want to dress everybody from like a zero-year-old to a mm. hundred-year-old. And so maybe that is, that is where trims will come in, right? Mm. So trims become
0: the part that makes people different, even though overall they look the same. Speaking of this, uh, Uniqlo actually, some Uniqlo, the bigger ones, actually have this uh, workshop area. Oh, yeah, yeah, embroidery. <laughs> and yeah, that, that's like what you were saying about that, adding that little part of yourself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a video game, right? Like if everybody looks the same, then like it's all the little tokens that you buy that make you different. Exactly, <laughs>
0: exactly. But I guess the thing about Uniqlo is that... Um, for instance they have a lot of collaborations and then it's always mm. about what's on what's what are the graphics, right? Yeah. But the silhouettes, for instance, are still the t shirts. Yes. It's the T shirt is still the blank canvas. Yes. Yeah. And they because they want to cater to more people, so mm. they're usually, you know, like more wearable yeah. and nothing too offensive or subversive.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. true. I yeah. think that w- I always think about what will people a hundred years from now see when they look at the material culture from today so i guess this would be very strange to them when they look at how um for example the brands that are successful now are brands that rely a lot on hype and Mm.
0: and more about the symbol than really what the garment looks like i think now with instagram and ar futures uh you actually see these things on yourself and it's an even more quote unquote real experience. Yeah. Yeah. And not sure if you've noticed this, but I find that recently a lot of um people sharing stories on Instagram like they, they tend to use a lot of filters. Yeah, face filters and things like that.
1: Yeah. Do you think it's also because it gives uh it makes it okay to take a picture of yourself?
0: Hmm. You mean in a, in a way because otherwise it's too raw or...
1: Yeah, or like otherwise it seems like kind of narcissistic.
0: <laughs> like if you put something that's funny, then yeah. it's okay. I, I
1: think a lot of digital culture now mm. tends to be on the idea of being ironic mm. or being raw, being like funny or making fun of
0: yourself. Right, right. I don't know. Do like with that... the meme culture as well. Right. Yeah, I wonder about that. I think um, a lot of times people just want to take a picture of themselves and feel nice but yeah. maybe to your point then that feels too narcissistic like yeah. you need to put something on top yeah. of it
1: because it it's almost like the beginning of it was where I mean you see a lot of these beautiful Instagram influencers like mm-hmm. posting really nice pictures of themselves but with captions that make no sense oh yeah and so mm-hmm. as a, as a contra- contrast to that then real people quote unquote like to kind of make fun of that and purposely show like ugly things or like mm. the ugly part of their life mm. but also maybe the filters are kind of a fun way to mm. just like let people see them
0: yeah I, I think the thing about the filters is also that uh, for instance there are those makeup filters right Yeah, and there are also some that uh, distort your face and yeah. it's, it's funnier but either way it's mm, encouraging a different kind of behavior and social interaction. Because now, I don't actually have to meet my friend face-to-face. I can just uh, send over a picture of myself made up or like, in a funny manner.
1: Hanging out on the internet.
0: Yeah. But also like, the fashion aspect of it, I think, um, like, there are more and more 3D designers, graphic designers, that are designing this very, you know, like, cyber um, and very high fashion type of accessories that you yeah. can either put on your face or, or um, usually, your face or some parts of your body. Mm. Yeah. And I think that might be like a new move in fashion.
1: Yeah. I think in November last year, have you heard of this uh, dress? A, sev- uh, a $9,500 dress that doesn't exist, it's just a digital dress. Have you heard of it before?
0: No, is it by a brand? Yeah, so
1: it's this digital brand. Oh. Um, And uh, Richard Marx bought this dress for his wife and it doesn't exist. It's by The Fabricant, which is a Whoa. digital fashion house.
0: Oh, this is really interesting. How do they put a price to it?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: for something that doesn't and he, exist. And he
1: calls it an investment. Oh
0: my goodness. <laughs> do you think it can be resold?
1: I don't know do you think that it can be seen more as like an artwork where it's like
0: Hmm.
1: he's so apparently he doesn't not necessarily buy expensive things but he found that this piece has like long-term value
0: wow okay that that sounds like borderline (laughs) you know yeah he
1: says that in 10 years time everybody will be wearing digital fashion
0: actually that's something that I want to think about and I think it's partly true what do you feel about that I mean, a lot
1: of people have been exploring this idea of being just um, digital avatar versions Mm. of ourselves. But I'm not sure. I think we're still very far from it. Like, sometimes Mm. our tech doesn't even work. So, I don't Mm. think our tech has caught up with... Oh, (laughs) our tech.
0: Yeah. I I think because, um, for instance, now, instead... like. I think another reason why street, um, street fashion is kind of dying. It's also because we don't really need to be on the street to be seen anymore. Mm. So I see a lot of people either um, you know just dressing up at home and taking photos and posting that online, or uh, if they don't really have the outfit, they can photoshop something onto themselves. So wow, yeah, have you seen people do that? Yes, actually, oh but gosh. maybe not in a very cheesy way, but more of like they uh, they are wearing some clothes. Not naked whatever <laughs> but they will photoshop on um certain like non-human features let's say like pointy years or, yep. or things like that that's uh a bit harder to achieve okay. in real life
1: yeah i think there's a line between costume and and dress in that aspect also right the mm-hmm. performativity of the elf years is Kind of brings it to somewhere else. Um, there is this paper by Caroline Evans where she was looking at subcultures from the two thousands, mm. and then she did, she did mention this that like subcultures are a lot are getting a lot more quiet. Like in the seventies, as we spoke earlier, the punks and the boys, they were very spectacular. So it was about how they looked mm. and that physical presence. But mm-hmm. now the subcultures are a lot like more subdued. And when I was doing my research on digital tribes, like I also realized that before, even when we were younger, we would meet in certain parts of Singapore, let's say like outside Huron or something. But now there isn't like just mm. specific physical places where people meet or see each other or go there to be seen. But it's more of yeah, a digital experience and your digital avatar that gets Recognized, mm.
0: yeah, absolutely. Like you wouldn't uh associate a certain subculture to a specific place yeah. anymore. Not so much. I think that also sh- um shows that right now, like the whole digital subculture or or it's it's not so specific to a, uh to one country or yeah. one group of people. Yeah, anymore. and
1: they tend to look the same. Exactly. Have you heard Visco girls? So a visco girl is almost
0: like a Like the visco cam thing.
1: Yeah, it's okay. from the visco v s c o cam, which is this editing software that makes everything look like a kinfool kind of like. Yeah, yeah, and then there is this like a lot of memes about what a visco girl is like, and basically she, she uses Ooh. a scrunchie, she says and I oop and I oop and <laughs> and like wears very basic clothing, very
0: teenage clothing. Mm. So there's also this brand called Happy 99 Online by uh, a 3D artist. And she became famous because she started designing this mock-up 3D rendered shoes that look... Crazy Yeah And she photoshops them Onto real people In real scenarios Okay So it but, so are kinda they, kinda they look... real th- Yeah that's the thing Are they real oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean They are not But I think they are going into Like Or at least trying to produce Some of the shoes Oh
1: okay yeah. So you pay to have a picture Where you are wearing their shoes
0: Not really Uh, I don't know if uh Exactly h- How she's making money Off this yet But you know Like when she first desi- Started designing these shoes It's just Um an act of creativity. Mm. Yeah. So but she display it on real people like these street style photos, uh with you know, people wearing real clothes, but except that the shoes are like super out of the world. Yeah. But the thing is that um while I think these are quite difficult to produce because you know shoes especially shoes if you wanna walk in them. Yeah. You need a lot of engineering in that. So what they end up doing is I know for sure yeah they're selling like merch in terms of like hoodies or t shirts, which to me feels a little bit sad. Yeah. Like like, you know, this creative vision exists in the in the digital but then it can't be translated also. There is a Swedish company called Carlings Mm -hmm. that partnered with Facebook and Instagram to produce a special AR t shirt. It's in the same vein of all the AR filters on your face except that it's for a Mm t-shirt the thing is you have to buy their t-shirt so (laughs) it doesn't work with uh, whatever clothes that you have at home and the point for them is that they don't want people to keep buying new clothes and having to you know be part of this fashion industry that's not environmentally friendly so they feel that if you just buy if you just want something different why don't you just buy one t-shirt that keeps changing
1: I think that um, it's not the first time that I heard of like this utopian idea that the future of clothing is in clothes that can be changed by themselves mm. uh, for example Hussein Chalayan had a collection where there were like mechanics and robotics in his collection mm. so that like things will just like drop down on their own so that one day this dress looks like this and then tomorrow the same dress looks different mm. so it has been something that designers have been like dreaming about of what if your print changes by itself so that you only have one garment and then every day changes print so that you don't have to keep buying new clothing. But I guess here it's a bit strange because um, you actually, you said they have to buy the t-shirt. Yeah. So then you're just encouraging them to buy something new. It's not truly a digital, digital experience that can be used on any garment.
0: I think like one good thing is just that at least it, Create a, a canvas for more crazy designs
1: yeah but also a lot of the I mean when you're a fashion student a lot of the things that you learn are about construction mm. and how to make garments so the kind of designer that would design digital fashion is different right because it's about aesthetics not so much about the three-dimensional I mean the physical three-dimensional how how does the feather Behave when it's in the different environment right? But more of like How does it look on the screen
0: Or in a VR environment Yeah, yeah, you're right about that Most of the people doing this are Have a graphic design Or like, you know um, They have 3D modelling background yeah. And they're not fashion designers Per se, or like most of them are not Because you don't really learn this In fashion design
1: Yeah, exactly, so I don't know how I don't know where fashion design will go to mm. if, if this is really the future of us where mm. we're going to be avatars. co-host a podcast called in the vitrine with nadia wang who's one of my colleagues in the LaSalle school of fashion and we talk about different topics we got into fashion history and contemporary fashion for example recently we spoke about performance in fashion and the rise of like dance and performance in fashion presentations so you can follow us at in the vitrine and how can people reach out to you and so they can also follow on Instagram and message through Instagram or follow us on Spotify. Um, We're also on iTunes. All our episodes are available there. Cool. Thank you, Danny. Thank you.